I think you have to have an area of that where you can just play and make messes and create and feel okay making mistakes and not nailing it. But I do think that having a goal and when you have a big dream that you really want to reach, setting that and working backwards matters. Today's conversation really centers around the permission to be your truest self. One of the great regrets of the dying is wishing they had given themselves the permission to be themselves earlier in life, not waiting till the end. And today's guest really has incredible perspective on what it is to find your tribe, build your tribe, give permission to be your truest self, to stop sleepwalking through life, and to allowing a place to shape you. Maybe you felt called to be somewhere else. Maybe you haven't given yourself permission to do that either. And so she has a lot to say about this. I hope you really enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Dream Beyond. I'm your host, Nick Tarasio. I'm a CEO, musician, and overall seeker of truth, inspiration, and simply put, how to live the most fulfilling life possible. Growing up surrounded by extremely wealthy and successful people gave me unique and unfiltered perspectives of those who have seemingly made it. And on The Dream Beyond, we're letting you in on what it really takes to achieve your dreams, what happens when it turns out your destination isn't the promised land you were expecting, and how to process the lessons from your past while mapping a course to true fulfillment. Let's get started. Hey guys, I'm here with a, a business coach, community builder, and an artist. Uh, she's worked with Fortune 500 company students in Nepal and business owners around the world. She's also the co-founder of Learning House, a community learning center in Nepal, and with training in psychology and a deep understanding of communities, her work emphasizes research-based strategy and thoughtful communication. Please welcome Michelle Welsh to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for being here. Awesome. I'm glad we made the time work out. Yeah. <laughs> we figured out the time zones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming there's no uh, uh, time changes in Nepal. Is that right? They don't do like daylight savings time and all that stuff? No, you're suffering through the hour difference and it's same for here. <laughs> I want to say not on topic, but that's so antiquated. I think Nepal has it right. Actually, everybody else basically has it right. So hopefully we'll catch on. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when you were little, what did you dream you'd be when you grew up? Oh, goodness. <laughs> so I grew up in, in Colorado. Um, I was in 4-H. I had a horse. I was involved with a lot of activities, sports. I think I was always so busy that I didn't really have time to think what I wanted to do um, or who I wanted to become, but I was so active and so involved. Um, and I do think that that contributed to who I am today and, and the way that I see the world. Uh, I had a lot of experiences very early on, and I think that created a platform for me to ask questions and be curious. I'm always interested about this idea of people that were just like, there's things in front of me that must be dealt with, right? Like whatever that is, I'm so busy doing, I don't really have time to start planning for the future. Yet you talk about uh, a strategy, right? You talk about doing strategy. So I'm curious, like how did how do you equate that? Like I'm in the moment, I'm in the present, I'm enjoying what I'm doing versus the strategic thinking aspect that's come into your life. So the strategy actually came from my master's degree. So I, I did my master's in social work at Columbia with a clinical focus. And the big thing that they emphasize is you can't practice, you can't be a clinician without doing something that's evidence-based or has a research backing to it. Um, and when I started to work in marketing and branding and businesses, I took that same approach of 
you can't just do something because you think it could work. What are those proof points that you can take to say that, hey, we tried this before with this audience, or we tried this before with this similar business and it worked, or it got these results. And that's how you can work more effectively. Not just kind of throwing a dart and hoping, ah, you know, I, th I think this could work, but you know, can you increase your odds of success by doing something intentionally and really thinking carefully about the bigger picture before you take smaller actions? How do you balance that? Like throwing darts is fun. I mean, that's been my life experience. I think like it's cool to do strategy and measure it all out and go like, I've got the plan and I want to execute. But I also love playing the game of throwing the dart, see what happens. Do you still allow space for that in your life? Thousand percent. If you see the wall behind me, I think, I think you have to have an area of that where you can just play and make messes and create and feel okay making mistakes and not nailing it. Um, but I do think that having a goal and when you have a big dream that you really want to reach, setting that and working backwards matters. So if you really have something, say you want to run a marathon next year and you just kind of throw a dart and sign up for, I don't know, whatever a marathon is in your city and wake up, you know, the next day and say, I'm going to go, it's not going to work. But if you set the plan and you create, okay, this week I'm going to run a mile, next week it's going to be this, 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 then you're going to have a higher chance of succeeding in that goal than just kind of winging it. So I do think that there's a balance. I think having that energy and that instant feedback of trying something and does it work, what happens, that's important because that builds passion and excitement and curiosity. But if you're playing the long-term game, you know, in terms of endurance and perseverance and staying optimistic, it is important to have some sort of plan or some sort of framework that you can play around in. So how do you know when you've gone too far in strategic thinking versus when you've gone too far into just dart throwing randomness? Like what, what, what are the signals? How does your life show up differently when you've hit that limit? I think you lose that spark. I think there's a moment where it doesn't feel fun anymore and you lose that passion or you lose that Curiosity is my big compass in life is when you're asking questions and when you're actually seeing the world around you and seeing the textures and the colors and the interactions between people, that's when you know you're in a good place. But I think when things start to get muted or dull or too routine and you're not seeing results and you're not feeling positive about the work that you're doing, I think that's a pretty big red flag to take a step back and see, wait a minute, am I on the right track? Is this just automatic? And is it working? I'm in. Well, kind of building on that again, for of all the things that we've talked about on our, on our pre-call, uh, I'm still so affected by the way you uprooted and just moved yourself to Nepal. And uh, for me, it sounds like a dart throwing. I wonder how much strategy was in that. But I'd love to just, if you could just kind of tell us more about how did you get from the U.S. to Nepal? How did that happen? What was the plan associated with it? Yeah, so this is interesting because this has now been over a decade since I first left New York and I came here. And thank you for giving me this platform to tell my story because it is something that yeah, I think a lot of people know, yeah, Michelle in Nepal started this school, but they don't necessarily know 
kind of all the inner workings and the decisions and the flexion points and it's never a straight line. And I think we would like to think that it would be so easy as to make a decision and and throw the dart and move across the world or start something new. In my case, it was just that, being curious, asking questions, reassessing, analyzing, taking a step back, taking a step forward, sidestepping. Um, there was no direct path. I think when I first left New York, I was really looking for something beyond me. I mean, this is, I was in my late 20s. Um, I had finished uh, my master's at Columbia. I did a major career transition from social work into branding and advertising. And I wanted to feel like I was contributing to the world in some way. And so when I set out to Nepal, the plan was to do Everest Base Camp, and I found some volunteer program online to teach English for a few weeks at a monastery. And one thing led to the next. And I think the difference is, had I had a fixed plan and a goal of this is what I'm doing with my life, and I'm going to go back to this job and I'm going to do branding and, and advertising in New York and I'm going to become an excellent copywriter and these are the businesses that I'm going to work with. If I was so focused on that, I, I wouldn't have stayed in Nepal. I mean, it just wouldn't have been possible. It wouldn't have been in my periphery of thinking of I would have the return ticket. I go back to my flat, you know, on the Upper West Side, whatever. But because I was open and curious of, wow, this is a world unlike anything that I'd ever experienced before. And these people, there's this culture and there are these foods and there are these beliefs. I was so curious. I really felt like a researcher. And so over time, I just kept asking questions and I wanted to learn more about the culture and I wanted to learn more about the people. Why do you believe like this? Why do you see the world like this? How come you got educated and you aren't? How come you speak English and you don't? Just kept asking questions and the questions kept leading to the next thing. Um, and so there wasn't like a clear cut decision of I'm staying. It was how can I help? And there was a, a point where I remember thinking, if I don't do this, who is going to? I really had a thought. I don't know if you just had that firework, but sorry. Um, yes. <laughs> nothing to be uh, ashamed of or worried about. This is uh, a holiday season right now. So it sounds like 4th of July, but it's called Tihar and we have fireworks exploding outside. Um, no, but Beautiful. I remember thinking, if I don't do this, who will? And that was my guiding principle for a long time, but that wasn't always it. That was just in that moment. And so I think when you're considering big changes, it's important to have a very clear understanding of your values and the kind of impact that you want to have on the world, but also to have some sort of flexibility because we're people and we change. You know, I'm, I'm not the same person that I was in my late 20s. The things that motivate me now are very different than how I was then. I don't care as much how, like in my early twenties, I cared so much about the way other people saw me and, and the decisions that I made. And now it's like my decisions are so far off the plot of what like a normal, normal person does that it, I don't care anymore. And it's totally changed the way that I operate. 
and it's very freeing actually another one. <laughs> oh, there's those explosions love yeah. it i love that there's celebration going on outside that's fantastic um yeah i i, I really still like I, maybe it's just because i don't have the courage to do it i've thought so much about like could i leave new york could i actually you know again i grew up in new york i've always lived in new york i've never been anywhere else really i mean i've traveled all over the place as a pilot but i've never really anchored anywhere else uh was there fear was there any resistance did it take you some time to just say I'm going to Nepal in the first place or were you just ready? Were you just ready to, to say like, I'm done here. I'm ready to go somewhere else. It's interesting because I think I've always felt a little bit like a black sheep. Um, my father was an immigrant. I grew up in a community where it was predominantly white. I remember kids giving me grief because my dad spoke in a very different way. I think I always kind of identified with kind of, kind of the out group more than the in group. Uh, and in Nepal, it was so clear that I was not part of the in group that it kind of felt like home. It kind of felt comforting in some way of, yeah, I am labeled as the foreigner. And it's so obvious that I'm the foreigner because I don't, you know, at the time when I came here, my hair was very long, long red hair, and a white woman walking around in, in an area where it was noticeable. I would say that I've had thoughts the reverse, and maybe this is always grass is greener on the other side kind of predicament, but I have thought, what would it be like to have been in one place for an extended period of time? Because your roots sink. I mean, you grow deep relationships with people and you understand people and they know you and they know your history and your background, and they've seen all the different evolutions of you. I haven't totally have had that. I've had that in different ways and I've had very close friendships that have carried me through the different stages of my life and through the different places of where I've lived. But I do think that there are, there's different advantages to these ways of living. When you stay in a place, the community that you build and the networks that you can establish there they're strong and they're informed and you understand how things work and you can create things in a different way that an outsider or somebody who's not from that area who tries to come into your community and build something, they don't get those subtle nuances that you know. And so when you are the person that's going to different places, you do have to adjust and adapt and sometimes progress is slower because you have to account for that gap in those distances and understand that your worldview could be very different from those people who have been living there their whole lives. So I do think that, you know, there's, on one hand, it, it sounds exotic and exciting and adventurous and um, courageous, but I do think that there's something equally valid about contributing to the community that you're from and looking for ways to give back to the place that you've built roots in and that you're established. So I, I think, you know, there's it's like apples and oranges, really. I don't know if that answer your, answers How your question. How much of it? Yeah, you know, it does. It, it does. And I'm, I'm going to keep digging. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm wondering, it, it's like curious to me to be in New York and feel like other is really hard because you don't look like, no one looks like other in New York, which is a little yeah. strange. And I wonder how much it was more like, I actually identify as other so much at this point that I want to go somewhere where I really do feel like other, my identity is other because I just look so different. Was that, was that a comfortable feeling to have that 
stepping into Nepal? No. Uh, it definitely took me a moment to be okay with it. I think, and it, it changed so much about me and and not the core, but how you dress and how you walk and how you hold yourself and the things that you post online and the company that you keep. All of these decisions suddenly seemed magnified because I was very aware of, you know, this kind of presence that I had without even doing anything, just by existing. You know, I've recognized that so much of being a woman, being in a leadership position, just me existing has challenged a lot of cultural norms in the community that I built the school. And thankfully, you know, it wasn't just me. I've had an incredible team. My co-founder is brilliant and kind and educated. I think having the right people around you, no matter where you are and whatever you're doing, is really key. And I think this is one of the biggest takeaways that I, I took from my time with Seth, working with Seth Godin, is really this idea of building your own tribe, um, whether it is a business or a community. And I think this is why Learning House still stands and why it's been successful, because that was such a core value of us, was who are the kinds of students that we want to attract and what's the environment that we want to hold for them? So what's the space that we want to create for people, regardless of where they're traveling from and their backgrounds? And a lot of people don't know, but there's still a caste system in Nepal. So that's also in play in terms of positions that people hold and, and where they're from and this kind of thing. And, and, from the very beginning, we decided that Learning House is going to be a welcoming space regardless of where you're from. Um, so I think having, again, having a rubric or having some sort of idea of what are those values that are really important to you, you know, those non-negotiables, regardless of where you are in the world, what are those things that you want to surround yourself with? Who are the kinds of people that you want to be associated with? I think these kinds of questions are core no matter where you are. Even if you're switching jobs, if you're going from one job to the next, you know, is it having flexibility to be creative? Do you want control over your own schedule? Do you want to have people that you can learn from? Or, you know, everybody has those things. And once you identify those, it's easier to make decisions in terms of what are you going to do and where do you want to go? We're going to come back to building tribe because I think that's a really interesting uh, topic to talk about. And, and before we do that, I was curious to know what was the hardest part of the transition? Like when you, wait, was there anything you completely underestimated or was it, you weren't estimating anything and you, you were just flowing. So that's not even really a fair question. Well, both. I mean, I think nothing could have ever prepared me for Nepal coming from New York. I'll admit I was not the most patient person. And in Nepal, there are definitely, um, processes and lack of systems that force you to wait. And so I learned to be patient here. And I, I remember actually kind of fairly early on uh, when we were building Learning House and when we first started to get going, I remember thinking like, even if you get one thing done, that's great. You know, and being the high functioning, like type A New Yorker, I always had a list, a checklist, and my calendar was planned out. And I remember thinking, like, if we get one thing done, that's great. 
Um, so I think adjusting expectations was a big thing for me. And then also being okay with uncertainty. In Nepal, anything can happen, literally. I mean, earthquakes, lights can go off, you cannot have water, we cook with gas for the stove, sometimes you can't find those. We've gone through everything here, and I think coming from, you know, Colorado, New York, is something when I go back to visit, it's like you can drive around and kind of be half asleep because you know there's a stoplight and there's crosswalks and you go to the supermarket and you can, you don't even have to talk to anybody. You can just, you know, beep yourself out, check yourself out and leave. It's almost like you can sleepwalk through life. And in Nepal, like even crossing the road is a, is, is an endeavor. There's motorbikes and chickens and, and cars and there's no lines and there's no crosswalk. You really have to be present and aware. And I think that was a big adjustment too of like, you can't check out. You can't, you can't disassociate here. Like you gotta be present and, and here. And there is no forward thinking in the way where you're distracting yourself. You really have to be in the moment and, and what are the obstacles right now and what are the problems right now and how do we solve them? Um, so I think that was also a big, big adjustment. Yeah, I'm processing that. That's a big thing. It's to hear that it sounds like you can feel more alive there, like yeah. good or bad, right? You can just feel the experience of being a human more in a place that will not allow you just to sleepwalk through the day. And I do think New York has done a really good job of numbing people out in a way. It's just, it's, it is, you know, people say it's such a hard city. I'm like, it's actually not that hard. You have everything you could possibly want really close by. Like a button too. on a phone. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but honestly, I think that is, that's the secret to life. If you can force yourself to stay awake and stay open and observe. Um, a lot of my friends who have left here, that's the first thing that they say is it's so boring, it's so predictable. And I always say like, notice something. What's the thing that you can notice? Like you gotta surprise yourself. Figure out how can you surprise yourself today? Whether that's going home from work in a new way, finding a new restaurant, whatever you gotta do, find something that's a little bit different. Otherwise, yeah, you, get, you fall into a routine. You fall into a routine so easily. Yeah. When you said boredom, I think that's the big one. That's kind of been the indicator for me. Most of my life was moving fast enough that I could never be bored, only to find out that that was really more of an indicator if I couldn't be with myself, right? I couldn't be with my own thoughts. It's like if I actually had to hear what was going on in my head, it was the worst soundtrack I could imagine. It's like, oh, not this again. So I do think it's a lot of like self-medication with activity and things going on and this like, I feel like I'm in the center of it all. And then to kind of unplug and disconnect and go to a place where you're right, you have to like sit in impatience. It's like, oh man, what, what's the worst thing that happens if I just have to sit around for a little bit? What, I got to breathe and relax and do all the things that I've never afforded myself in the past. So it's, an, it's interesting, as you say, like I actually feel the cringe of like, oh my God, it would be so hard for me to be in a place where I have to have that kind of spaciousness and kind of always be in that presence. Yet it sounds like it's closer to what true fulfillment really might feel like. I don't know about true fulfillment. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think we're all searching. 
and it's a, it's it's a process it's a practice um i do think for me art has helped with that a lot really forcing to see colors and textures and patterns and lines and being present with the piece long enough to see that a lot of my work, what I'll do is I'll do plain air sketches. So I'll bring a sketchbook, I'll wander around, I'll find a scene, I'll draw it, and then I'll come back home and paint. And I think learning to see is one of the best things that you can do. And th that looks different for different people. Some people want to write, other people want to build things. We just recently had a like a maker contest at Learning House and the winner had made a scarf but even the, the attention, you know, to knit and sit there and, and look at the patterns and look at, you know, the process that you're doing. I think anything that requires your attention and in a world where we're so attention starved because we're getting alerts on our phones. And I really think it's important to reclaim that however you can do it wherever you are in the world. Yeah, as a creative, I agree with that very much. It's uh, to really slow down and pay attention to the process and feel like I really do like to feel like I've made something. Yeah. I've actually, I wasn't just a participant. I wasn't just a consumer. I actually want to be a creator always to know I'm contributing something to it. Uh, but I do want to back up to, you said, I don't know about true fulfillment. I'm actually curious to know more about what is your concept of fulfillment being there and how do you feel like as you've connected with this community of people and this different culture, how does fulfillment show up in Nepal versus New York City? So fulfillment has changed for me. Um, if you had asked me a few years ago, I would have said, you know, it's the impact that I made. Fulfillment for me is knowing that I've made a dent, you know, somehow in the universe. Since COVID, I guess, I've really started to realize that actually fulfillment can be your truest expression of you however that looks. Um, and it's not necessarily about what you create or what you build or, or what you make or give, but it's just about can you be your most truest self? Can you be you completely? And like what you just said, this is one of the hardest things to do because we, we have so many filters and ideas and, and thoughts of what it should look like of how success should look like, of, of what we should be doing, of the boxes that we should be checking, when really it's like, no, how can you peel back all the layers and really ask, no, Nick, who are you? If none of this mattered, you didn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> Answer it yeah. later. But if it, didn't, if it didn't matter, how would you show up in the world, actually? And the people that are around you, would they still love you? I, I really yeah. think for me that's fulfillment now. You're like, it's not a different way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can answer who I am right now, but who, who are you? Um, no, but I, I really think for me, that's fulfillment. Do I think it's amazing that I've created a platform to help people get educated? Yes. Does it bring me so much joy to know we have students all over the world getting educated and getting degrees and higher education? Amazing. Yes. But I've also realized like I have a responsibility to myself as well. And as phenomenal as it has been, and maybe this is because I've done things in reverse. Usually people do their career and then go out in the world and volunteer and do this kind of thing. And I kind of flipped it on its head and did 
the volunteering and the social. And now I'm starting to realize that like you being you is also an incredible service. Again, I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear, but that's (laughs) No, that's, I mean, I can't think of a greater invitation than to tell someone or to tell me or anybody, right? The greatest gift you can give is just to be yourself, to figure out ways to peel away the layers of the things that aren't yours that you've been carrying, the obligations, the the conditioning. Like that's a beautiful, beautiful invitation. I also think like getting to art, I think that's the truest art, right? It's the art that's like, I made it for me. I actually didn't make it for anybody else. I wanted to make something. I think Rick Rubin said this. He said, uh, you should make art that you love so much that you have the courage to share it with others knowing that they may not like it, right? It's like the, it, it really takes you falling in love with what you've created to have the courage to push it out into the world. Yeah. And, and you're doing I people- I agree with that so much. And I, I You're doing a disservice by not ahead. sharing it to, to the rest of us because there is only one you. And there is only one person that's going to see the world and hear music in the way that you do and bring your experiences to your work and your art in the way that you can. And so by not sharing it, you're cheating us. Yeah. And I, I think that becomes the, you know, the parallel for becoming the person that you love so much that you let other people actually witness it, right? To really know that like, of course, not everyone's going to like me, but I love this version of me so much that I have to be this every day. I just have to knowing that, yeah, I could sit in that discomfort. I could sit in the fact that I may be othered at times. And I don't know. I think it's a beautiful answer. Uh, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you said all that, and I, I I'm curious to know how that connects to tribe building because that seems to be an important nugget of all of this. Is like going out into the world, trying to find the self, trying to find out who the self even is, allowing a foreign place to potentially n- knock you loose of the things that may have not been yours in the first place, and then saying, "Okay, I want to build my tribe." What is that? Like, what what is tribe building to you? Yeah. So I, I, I think that, again, this has evolved for me. And now I can say that when you are your most true self, you give other people permission to be their most true, authentic version of themselves. Um, coming from a social work background, you know, when we, again, when we first started Learning House, it was very much how do you create an inclusive space and do so very intentionally through activities, through communication, through values, through the books that we stock shelves with, through the art that we display, through um, the way that we welcome people when they come into the center. So I think creating communities is very important because, again, especially in places, um, I don't even want to say like Nepal, in places all over the world, there are communities where people are not encouraged to be themselves. And people do have to actively hide who they are um, or how they think. And so for somebody else to come up and say, I see you and you're safe here and you're welcome here, I, that, that can transform someone's life. You don't have to be in a, in a different country to do that. You can be in your own city or your town, wherever you live. There are people who don't feel safe to, to be themselves. And so I think, again, by listening, um, by asking questions, by being curious, by living in a way that people feel comfortable being themselves around you. I think all of these things contribute. And again, I think I've, I, I'm kind of an extreme example. 
you don't have to go to a country around the world to do this. You really, I mean, wherever you are, however, you know, even in, in the small way, if it's acknowledging someone at, at the checkout line, at the supermarket or your barista at the coffee shop, even just recognizing somebody for their humanity and, and their service and, and for showing up, you know, these are tough times. Everybody's having a, having a tough time, but to say like, Hey, you're here and, and you're present and I see you, that can really make a big difference in someone's life. You don't know, right? You, you never know. I mean, you just don't know. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, not that far off from hopefully hopefully starting a family with my fiance and i think a lot about tribe building as you know it's a very i think when people hear that it's like oh yeah building a company building a community being part of a church group or something like that but i really think about tribe building as it relates also to many people try this in the aspect of family like how do i create intentional values and structure to give permission to the people i create right and there's so there's something too that i'm really curious to know more about what advice do you have for people that are like, I'm at a place in my life where I'm ready to intentionally create that community around me, that tribe around me, and I don't know how to do it. I don't necessarily have the confidence to do it. What would you say to that person? I would say first get a journal and start writing and write about the communities that you feel good in or you've seen and you respect or you admire in some way and get curious, what made you feel good in that moment? What made you feel welcome? What sparked your interest? Why did you even find out about this group? Um, what drew you there? How did you connect? Who reached out to you? When you left, how did you feel? And really think about the impact that you wanna have. Um, and for you, it's what kind of family do you wanna have? You know, what are those values that are important? Is it, is it adventure? Is it honesty? Is it spontaneity? Is it passion? Is it art? You know, is it creating? Is it freedom of thought? All of these things of what's the ideal. And then once you have that on paper, then you can start creating the plan and getting intentional and getting more strategic about, okay, what are these steps that we need to take? If I'm saying that I want to have a community that really encourages truthful, authentic conversation. What are some of the things that I need to put in place for that to happen? Are there safe words? Are there uh, weekly check-ins? Are there communication workshops that teach people how to recognize and express feelings? You know, you have the goal in mind and then you can kind of set the strategic action and you can just start checking that off. But I think without the awareness and without the idea it's like setting off on, uh, we're going to go climb a mountain, but we're not really sure which mountain or where it is. You got to be able to pinpoint and saying, no, we're going to do that one. But I, I do, I really think that writing and learning to observe and notice is essential for any entrepreneur, business owner, creative, because once you start identifying, then you can make changes. And this is with your own behavior, with businesses, with other people. But without that awareness, you can't do any sort of action. So, you know, once you start thinking like, I love, I remember I was part of this community, Creative Mornings, perfect example, right? It started, it, I think it started in New York, regular workshops, settings, 
Um, people would go coffee, breakfast, people are welcoming, there's name tags, it feels easy to approach people, you know, figuring out what, what were those dynamics of how did I find out about the events, um, how did I connect with people after, how easy was it to figure out when the next meeting was, all of these little details, those are just tactics, those are strategies. But once you have the umbrella idea of what it is you want to create, I, I think it's, yeah, it's like creating a plan. It's like creating your own trip itinerary. <laughs> we're, we're going to Greece for five days. This is what we want to see. This is how we're doing it. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm inspired by what you shared because as you were speaking, I, I now think I have the central tenet for what I would want my family, my tribe to be. And during the pandemic, I did a music project where I came up with a meaning of a song and I wrote a demo aspect of it and I shared it with other musicians all over the world because I knew they didn't have any money and there was no income coming in for a lot of performing musicians. So I would say, listen to the track and do whatever you want over the track. I won't edit it. I, I'm going to tell you what it means and I'm going to show you the bass, but you add what you want to add to it. And it actually came out. I could have never imagined what people had done. It was so much better than I could have ever fathomed. And when you said this idea of like to really give permission for people to be their truest self, I'm like that's the glue for the tribe I want to build. To have a space, to have a home where people come in and it's like the best gift you could give our home is that you are just being yourself in our space. So thank you for helping me clarify that because that really is it. That, that, that for me, that's my favorite art when you go like, wow, that is so you. It is just so you. And we don't need it to be me because I've got that, that. I've already got that handled. So uh, thank you for that. You inspired that in this conversation. Amazing. Amazing. I, I like this idea of the song because that's, you know, it's if you get a bunch of creatives in a room and you tell them to wild out, you don't know what could happen. But if you have some sort of silo or a creative brief, that allows creative energy to kind of be filtered and channeled in a way, like your song. I think that's when really great stuff can happen. And so essentially that's what values are. It's that silo, it's that creative brief of in our family, we're gonna communicate authentically and truly. And how you do that is up to you, but this is the pillar, these are the boundaries. And so the, the, the moment where you're not true or you're not communicating, that's when we can course correct. But within this boundary of being kind or whatever else you decide, um, you know, once you have your creative brief down, everything else is, is cake. It's easy to and fun to play with. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, because I imagine just giving open canvas of just be yourself and someone comes <laughs> in and we're like, actually, we don't like that version. We don't like that person. They, they they don't get to hang out. They're not playing in our values. So I, I You're not wise. I appreciate. Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. That's a good reframe. Um so kind of my, my, my last question to you is given all the things you've achieved, um, what do you what's your dream beyond? What do you dream about now for the rest of your life? Oh no. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking like, what's the magnum opus? What's the big creation? And I do think that, you know, I have a manuscript in the works. Um, so I'm writing and I'm, I've been thinking a lot. I took some time off this year to kind of just reassess and, and reevaluate and think, how can I continue to create and give 
I think the biggest success for me is the fact that Learning House can run and I don't have to be there every day managing it. There's a team. And so I think when you create something that's bigger than you and doesn't require you to nurture it nonstop, that's amazing. It's kind of like Learning House was my child and it's been raised and it's a teenager and now it's standing on its own and I can feel proud of it. But I do think that some of the things that I've gone through and some of the lessons that I've learned, there's a, there's going to be a way where I communicate this. And I don't know if it's going to be verbal or artistic, but I do think some of the lessons that I've learned through this wild journey, um, I'm going to figure out how to get out to a bigger audience. Please Let's do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, please do. That's great. I, I, I love that. I just, I appreciate anybody that's willing to kind of share their battle scars, right? For the benefit of others. So uh, you gotta talk please about do them. that. If I could be of any help. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a big supporter in those kind of things. Well, I'll, I'll share some of the kind of the big takeaways for me. Um, and though you didn't state it in these words, I really love this idea of allowing a place to shape you just going somewhere and just letting the lessons and the messages come through. And it's a little bit like my collaborative song stuff. It's like, don't push me outside of my values, but within the values, shape me as you wish. Like it's, I really want to understand the place I am. And I, I really, I really love that inspiration. Just the awareness of all the modern comforts of the world as they allow the sleepwalking through life, right? It just invites more and more of that sleepwalking, not having to be present and the desire to, or the, the invitation to go to places where you can't and experience all the things, all the pleasures and the joys and the discomforts and all those fears that come up. Um, I never really thought about travel that way, but I never liked going to big fancy resorts. It was like, I don't really want to go away and just have like more numbing out. I want to go and like experience stuff, get my hands dirty. So uh, I appreciate that as well as like a frame and an invitation. Also, it is nice sometimes to go to a really nice resort, but uh, with balance. And I think the, you know, the, obviously the, the biggest piece for me is just the permission by being your truest self, giving permission to others to do that. And I'm like, what a beautiful world it would be if that's what all of us, you know, aspired to be more like is saying like my company, my family, my business, my art, all of it, all of it is designed and, and expressed in a way that is with the intention of giving people, you know, people permission to be themselves. So uh, that's beautiful, beautiful sentiment. And uh, yeah, I just, I appreciate the way you've navigated your world. Thank you Thank for telling you. us about it. Thanks for listening yeah. the questions. Yeah, of course. And for anybody who's as inspired as I am to learn more about Michelle and her journey, uh, you could reach out to her, share a word of encouragement. She, she said she's happy to connect, right? Like you, you, especially words of encouragement, check out her art online. You could find her on LinkedIn and Instagram. You could also check out her website, which is just her name. Do you want to, is, is it Welsh? It's, it's W-E-L-S-C-H. -E yes. Okay, good. Cause I, I didn't know. Okay, good. Um, so yeah. yeah, you could check out our website. Uh, you could check out learninghousenepal.com. We'll put all the links in the show notes so you could, you could just see what her journey has been like. Um, and Michelle, again, thank you so much for being here. This is such an incredible conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. I hope everybody enjoyed. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Dream Beyond. I hope that you received whatever message or inspiration you were meant to get from today's episode. 
I had a great time recording it for you. If you love the show, please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review it. That really helps get the word out. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Instagram.com slash Nick Tarasio, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Nick Tarasio, or YouTube.com slash N Tarasio.